This is the Everything 80s Podcast, episode 31, Captain Power. Power on. Captain Power and the soldiers of the future. Earth 2147, the legacy of the metal wars, when man fought machine and machines won. Biodreads, monstrous creations that hunt down human survivors and digitize them. Volcania, center of the Bio-Dread Empire, stronghold and fortress of Lord Dread, feared ruler of this new order. But from the fires of the Metal Wars arose a new breed of warrior, born and trained to bring down Lord Dread and his Bio-Dread Empire. They were soldiers of the future, mankind's last hope. Their leader, Captain Jonathan Power. Master of the incredible power suits which transform each soldier into a one-man attack force. Major Matthew, Hawk Masterson, fighter in the sky. Lieutenant Michael, Tank Ellis, ground assault unit. Sergeant Robert, Scout Baker, espionage and communication. And Corporal Jennifer, pilot chase, tactical systems expert. Together they form the most powerful fighting force in Earth's history. Their creed to protect all life. Their promise to end Lord Dredd's rule. Their name, Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Future. guys, what's happening? And welcome back to the Everything 80s Podcast. I'm Jamie. Thanks for coming on out today. And a long intro on this one, but it's important as the theme, I guess technically the theme song for Captain Power, the show we're talking about today, put everything like descriptive and getting you up to speed in the intro for the show. So if you remember this show, hopefully you remember all that and all the details that went behind it. If it's new for you, that gives you a good rundown, but we'll go in way more into detail on everything to do with the Captain Power show, which was pretty, um, I don't know, groundbreaking at its time. And we'll get into everything to do with that. So it was just, I think, important to look back on like, I mean, most intros for shows are 30 seconds long, maybe a minute at the most if it had like a really good theme song, like a lot of uh, sort of sitcom-y things or, or kids live action stuff. They they would sort of describe what the whole show was about in the intro, but it wouldn't go that long. That's a minute and 30 seconds because there's so much they're trying to get people up to speed with with this sort of revolutionary show. So we'll get right into it in a sec. Uh, before we do all that, if you haven't already... Do me a favor, subscribe if you want, of course, to the podcast. That way you get them automatically sent to you. Wherever you like to find your podcast, I should be there. Okay, let's go. So everything we have today is completely interactive, maybe too interactive. But besides video games in the 80s, this one show is extremely groundbreaking. And Captain Power came out in 1987 it was a science fiction live action TV show which incorporated in computer, like actual computer generated images. So there were toys that were used that could interact with the show during certain segments that uh, it would do this by hitting sensors on the screen and they were able to be hit in return. So you were interacting and kind of fighting with the, the show in real time or as it was being broadcast, but it would only last one season. And when I still think back on Captain Power, 
and the soldiers of the future in complete awe. I remember the lead up to this TV show very well. I remember all the commercials. I remember the toys. I didn't own any of this stuff um, or anything that could be used with the show, but my best friend did when I was a kid. How old were we here? So nine. So safe to say I was always at his house when Captain Power would be on to take part in this like amazingly interactive viewing experience. I don't know how interactive it really was, but the fact that you were engaging with what was happening on the TV and being able to like shoot at it and be hit was mind blowing if you're a kid in the 80s. So again, very ahead of its time show, embraced technology in a way that captivated a lot of kids and we're looking at everything to do with what Captain Power was. So um, again, it was based around science fiction and action and it merged live action along with the animation that was, you know, using these new computer generated images. Um, the character was created, the cap, the character of Captain Power was created by a guy named Gary Godard, who came up with the name before anything else. It just started with the name. It, it, the name seems so simple. Um, and he was sure it had been used somewhere before. And it turns out it hadn't. The, if you know your TV history, one of the very first, um, I don't even know what you want to call it. I guess series, but uh, things that were ever put out on TV was called Captain Video and the Video Rangers. If you ever watched The Honeymooners, you remember Ed Norton always pl- uh, like wanting to watch and he would dress up. And I think it started actually as a radio show, but it moved into this new medium and format. And they, you know, they would record it all live and everything. So that was the closest thing. Uh, but the name Captain Power had never been used as simple and easy as it seems. Like it was never used for a movie or anything, not even a comic book. So he began to write out the characters and the story. Also, fun fact, Goddard was also involved in making He-Man, which probably played a big role in getting the toy and the show launched, which we'll get into in a bit. So Captain Power, um, you know, this is a weird thing. It's a weird enterprise where you've got not just a show you're trying to launch, but an entire toy line. So they would work alongside, um, the, the TV show would work alongside toys that were going to be made by Mattel. So certain portions of the show would include, again, if you haven't seen this, you're going to have to like either YouTube the episodes or, or whatnot, but parts of the show would include a visual and audio segment, and that's what interacted with the toys and sort of the flashing light. It's sort of like how your NES would work with the zapper gun. It was sort of like light images that would come back and reflect or the uh, robotic operating buddy or Rob from the original NES. Again, it would use these sort of light-based images that would come in and then interact with whatever the toy. Sort of the same thing basically going on with the Captain Power toy. So you could shoot at the screen um, and hit those flashing marks to make um, like a shot. And then those flashing things could come back and hit you and um, signal like a, a trigger thing on the whatever toy you were using. There's various different toys. So those interactive, the whole show wasn't like this, though. The, the interactive segments would last anywhere from 30 seconds to three minutes. And you would use um, toys that were kind of like half gun, half ship. You know what I mean? Like they, they, they serve like a dual function because you could play with them when the show wasn't on. But when the show came on, then they had that functionality. One the one big main toy would be the Powerjet XT7. So this toy would serve as a weapon to fight with the show, but again, then you could use it with a spaceship to play for the other 23 hours and 30 minutes of the day. So the show came out on 
September 30th, 1987. And like I said, it would only last one season made up of 22 episodes. So plans were made for a second season. Scripts were written, everything, but it was never seen through. So for those wanting to know, here's the basic plot of Captain Power. So Captain Power set on Earth in the 22nd century. And was dur- it's during a time, a uh, period of time that followed the what they called the Metal Wars. And the Metal Wars were a revolt from the cyborgs that inhabited the Earth, which would use artificial intelligence to take over the human race and rule them by intelligent machines. The surviving humans live in hiding from what they called the biomechs, who are will digitize the humans into virtual beings. So this is all taking place in North America around the Great Lakes region. It's kind of like kind of had a RoboCop Blade Runner ish feel with a bit of Wally thrown in for good measure. Um, So Captain Power himself is actually Jonathan Power and he leads a small group of guerrilla warriors called the soldiers of the future. And they battle the machines that are running the earth. He was first played by actor Tim Dunnigan who had played the original face on the a team. If you remember that, but then he would be replaced by Dirk Benedict. So here's something I did not know until researching all this. I live near Toronto in Ontario, Canada, not like maybe 90 minutes. And this is where the whole show was shot. I had no idea. Our dollar it was super weak at the time. And the added tax incentives made it a no-brainer to film in Canada. A lot of movies, I'm sure most people know this, but a lot of times Toronto doubles for New York in uh, movies. So they can, you know, they, they save money to film up here. It's cheaper. And it there, there are parts of, of the city that do look like parts of Manhattan obviously not from like a whole wide shot at all it's funny to look back in like certain movies and you can see certain neighborhood stores that you know that are Toronto shops that are not in New York so it's like it's interesting because this is one of the very first like this is commonplace now to shoot in Canada especially Toronto they do there's a huge sort of film industry in Vancouver as well in British Columbia but they, this hadn't really happened, and Captain Power kind of paved the way for all of this, like Toronto doubling for New York, and it's cheaper to film up here and everything. So they kind of set an unintentional standard that's still going on to this day. So here's some more of the main arc for the first season, and it involves Lord Dread, which you heard mentioned too in the intro, in the theme. And he plans to eliminate all human life on Earth and wants to impose his own agenda. This is called Project New Order, and it's made up of four different stages. First stage is called Styx, with an X. This is what would release a powerful toxin into the human population. The second stage is Sharon, which I thought was the sound Michael Jackson made, but this this stage is the creation of an advanced bio-dread warrior force. The third stage is Icarus, This is the construction of a giant orbital platform that could do large-scale digitizing of humans. Fourth stage is Prometheus, and this would release a plasma storm that would scorch the Earth's surface. Captain Power and his crew are able to use what they call transit gates, which are teleportation portals so they can move around North America quickly. This way, they're able to keep their main base a secret. So at the end of the first season, Lord Dread is able to break the gate's access code, and then they proceed to attack the base. Captain Power and most of the crew are able to escape, but Jennifer, whose nickname is Pilot, so Jennifer Pilot Chase, who used to be a BioDread youth, gets stuck there, activates the self-destruct on the base, and basically blasts it, her, 
the BioDread troops, everything to kingdom come. And then cut to a commercial for Cookie Crisp. So that's the thing. Looking like, was this actually really a kids show? I mean, it's toys and it's on after school and it's directed at kids, but it was actually never just specifically intended for kids. It was actually meant to appeal to adults or at least older age nerds and that sort of population. So due to this reason, some pretty adult themes crept into the show. Again, I don't know if you watched this, so if this is you know all newer to you, I can fill you in. There's like a bit too much romance and intrigue, I would say, for the average kid. Um, Captain Power also had a lot of kissing, a lot of sexual innuendo. The, even like a slight touch of cursing, if you consider damn to be cursing, which I do, the phrase go to hell was even used. And this is like an after-school TV show. So you're not hearing go to hell on strawberry shortcake or damn during my little pony. So it was kind of weird or not clearly um, indicated who the show was directed towards as much like because it had toys. It was assumed it was a hundred percent a kid's show. There's also (laughs) again, the pretty violent death of one of the characters and you know, you're not seeing that on, you know, in saying like G.I. Joe or Transformers, you don't really see a lot of death. There's always like fighting and gunfire, but not death. Some death, but not deliberate on-screen death. <laughs> so if you want to look deeper, and we will, there are some pretty intense and adult themes going on in Captain Power, including Nazism and communist regimes. And you can you can probably get an idea of that with the whole four phase thing and the fact that that girl Jennifer was a bio dread youth um, you know it's not too hard to indicate what themes they're going for here so you know with the bio dread youth, youth this was a group that was would recruit young survivors to Lord's, Lord Dread's way of life to further and advance his agenda again not really any Nazi themes in Strawberry Shortcake. I mean, there might have been some, but I didn't catch them. And um, either way, this is pretty intense for, again, you know, combination between Saturday mornings and then after school, depending on when you would watch it. So not surprisingly, here comes some issues for or from the Action for Children's Television. And it may be hard to imagine, but there was a time people would try to put the brakes on how much could be advertised to children. And this goes into the big topic of what they call deregulation going into the 80s. In the 1970s, a ton of research had been done that showed how susceptible kids were to advertising. And not only, and I've covered this on the show before, if you listen all the time, you know about this topic. If this is your first time hearing it, not only do young kids not know that they're being advertised to, that they also can't even discern between what is a show and what is a cartoon and what is an ad, especially at the younger ages. Even up to the ages of 12, there is confusion over what you're watching. When you're a younger kid, especially like anything from like three to five to seven, you don't really know what you're watching. Everything is all the same. So you don't know you're being targeted with all these commercials. There was a mountain of evidence that revealed all these findings, and there were strict regulations on advertising to children through the 70s. Commercials for toys could not feature more than seven seconds of a cartoon in them, so they did not, as to not appear like an ad in disguise. And it's, it's one of the reasons um, you would see cartoon shows and say um, whatever 
G.I. Joe will be back after these messages to clearly indicate that a commercial is coming. And this is because all the things that changed when Ronald Reagan became president. And one of the first things he did was appoint a new head of the FCC and they deregulated everything. All those studies, all those restrictions, all that, you know, no more than seven seconds of cartoon in a commercial, all that's gone. Everything is lifted. Lifted. Manufacturers could do and advertise in any way they wanted. They said the market would dictate what would be successful. Commerce would come first. And at the end of the day, whatever had the ratings and the sales would be the winner. It was like the Wild West of advertising to kids. And that's why in the 80s you see that tidal wave of new toys, new cartoons, new cereals, new junk food, new candy. You remember like McDonald's commercials basically seem like cartoons at that point. Everything, all the restrictions were lifted. It's free reign on advertising. And that makes us go crazy as kids for new toys and products. Basically why shows like G.I. Joe and Transformers were put out. They were 22-minute long commercials for new products, new toys, new action figures, everything. Again, as kids, we're not complaining because this is amazing. The people who were complaining, however, were the Action for Children's Television who had been around forever trying to like spare us from all this commerce you know, manipulation. They're still around. They're trying to let everyone know that even though the regulations had changed, their research and the findings hadn't, and kids are so susceptible to all this stuff. So despite the deregulation, they still wanted to protect the kids from this onslaught of the toys and the advertising, and Captain Power was their worst nightmare come to life. So they had been specifically pushing against um, the shows that were obvious half-hour commercials for their toys. And when they first saw Captain Power, they found out that Mattel was subsidizing the whole thing. It was all... (laughs) I mean, the most blatant toy promotion thing pretty much on TV at the time. Mattel was putting up all the money and the show was encoded with signals that worked with their toys. If this was in like 1979, even 1980, that show would never have seen the light of day because of all the restrictions at the time. So now you've got this perfect storm of a show that is blatantly promoting awareness of a toy line but of a toy that you needed to properly watch the show. So in fairness to Captain Power, it's not like they're the main ones that are guilty of doing this. I'd say personally, as much as I love it, G.I. Joe was hands down the worst of incorporating toys into the shows and using the shows to promote all their merchandise. Every single show G.I. Joe put out was to introduce a new character or a new vehicle. By the end of the series, there would be over 250 different vehicles alone. And that's why if you ever notice on shows, all cartoons in the 80s, they would always refer to a vehicle or a character by the exact name it would appear on the packaging for it in stores so you knew exactly what you were looking for. Okay, so here's the initial response to Captain Power. If you were like me, you were all about Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Future. And a lot of other kids were, especially like specifically where I grew up and from what I remember. This was this was huge. When it debuted in the fall of 1987, it was actually a massive hit and it became the second highest rated new show in syndication. What was the first show? DuckTales, of course. So as kids, we loved the show. We loved the action. We loved that toys could interact with it. And then seeing the initial popularity of Captain Power, Mattel was quick out was sorry quick to put out more products that would round out the whole property. They would 
do everything. And then they would even release VHS tapes that were just entire battle scenes. So you could play through the entire show, you know, instead of having to wait for the specific moments during the televised show. I remember that best friend I was talking about having those tapes so we could play all the time after school in between waiting for new episodes. So you didn't have to wait till this time slot. That was a brilliant move on Mattel's part. Marvel would also put out comics that would really deepen the backstory and mythology of the Captain Power universe. And this is before the term universe was so common. Obviously, the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the D- everything is building a universe. Captain Power was really doing this more specifically within one. I mean, it existed with comics, but you have all these like crossovers between characters and everything. Captain Power is really building out this backstory in this universe. So everything is working out perfect for Captain Power because, and, and for Mattel specifically, because it's now 1988 and a lot of those other properties we were talking about that were huge for them, like He-Man and all these other big toys are now starting to lose their appeal at this point and Captain Power was the perfect way to fill the void. So obviously nothing's going to stop a second season, but here we go. How much do you think each episode of Captain Power costs to make? If you're guessing a cool million dollars, you're right. And if you convert that to today, that's around 2.2 million dollars for a 22-minute episode and that is insane for a Saturday morning-based show or an after-school whatever. So the creators would find out in January of 1988 that a second season was not going to be in the cards. Mattel had sunk over 22 million into those first 22 episodes. Again, you convert that for today, that's $50 million. And that is a lot for one season of a kid's show, a seemingly kid's show. It seems surprising based on what it hit it was, but Mattel wasn't seeing the toy sales that they had anticipated. The show was awesome, but The gameplay, like if we're being honest now, the gameplay aspect of it wasn't exactly phenomenal. You know, I remember feeling like we weren't totally engaging in it. It was, you know, you're scoring hits and whatnot, but it wasn't exactly like a video game come to life, which I think was what we were anticipating as much. It was cool, but it just it wasn't capturing what the 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 amazing potential possibility might have been, which was also obviously limited by the technology. Add to all this the problems with the parents groups who thought the show was too violent, which it was. Apparently during every episode, (laughs) there was an attempted murder every 30 seconds. And I guess technically the show is trying to murder us by firing back. It's basically, it's not presenting an ideal theme and narrative for kids. I think today there's no way this show would fly because of all that. So now you can add to this that Captain Power was seen as the highest of manipulated programming. You had to shell out at least 40 bucks just to get one of the toys if you wanted to fully watch the show and and get the the real experience of the show. And again, converted for today, that's really that's around $90 for some of the simple toys for it like those spaceship jet gun things I was talking about. That that's a lot. It was kind of seen then as being somewhat elitist as it was catering to more privileged people or kids who were, they were able to afford uh, the ability to fully embrace the show. But for the average kid, you're not going to get a $90 equivalent toy to watch this thing that's already on. So you combine, you know, that aspect with the poor sales, 
the terrible, terrible public backlash, and you've got a bit of a nightmare on your hands. So Mattel decided to pull the plug on Captain Power after the one season, or however you deactivate Captain Power. So looking at kind of the future of Captain Power, um, there's been various talks about reboots over the years as things, you know, again, like things from the 80s will always hang around forever, it seems. They never go away. They so They slowly stick around, and, you know, what appealed to kids back then could have a second life and then they reboot all sorts of stuff. Like uh, I was talking some other shows, like they did a new inspector gadget show on Netflix and there was a popples reboot in 2015 that they'll always go back and touch on them. So they were looking into in 2016, a reboot called Phoenix rising that was in the works. And I'm not sure where things stand with that now, but a script had been written by the people who worked on Star Trek Enterprise and the original creator, Gary Godard, had been overseeing this development of um, this Phoenix Rising project with his uh, new production company called the Godard Film Group and Planet X Productions. I, I honestly think a Captain Power reboot would work. I think enough time has passed I think there's some interest and this, the nostalgia factor. And I think the darker and more mature themes of Captain Power would work a lot better today. As many shows use this similar, they embrace this. They use this similar narrative. And I'd say ever since, I've done a whole other um, show that will be coming on about this. And I was talking about how in 1989, when the first, the original Batman came out and the Tim Burton Batman and how that changed the sort of trajectory of how we see um, comic booky based entertainment that like up to that point, you know, obviously the original Batman is all bam, pow, cartoony, campy, um, as good as like say Superman was and whatever, like that, you know, the, the sequels got really wacky and stuff like that. And then the the modern version of superheroes now, you know, with like the Dark Knight Rises and everything with Marvel, everything like everything is more grittier based and a little more raw and things like that. So I think in the 80s, things were a little too flashy and novel and squeaky clean. And I think Captain Power was a little bit ahead of its time. So I think now it would work because, again, with all the things you're seeing on like HBO or Netflix, they, they embrace these darker themes that were maybe a bit too advanced for audiences in 1987. I, I don't know. I mean, you might not even remember Captain Power, so I don't know how much of the name value will be there and that people will be like, oh, I remember that and want to check it out. A lot of people might not just remember it and when they could put out completely new properties that have different themes and whatnot. But like as a whole, if you look at the history in the universe and like everything that was done with marvel with it um the creativity and the people behind it i think like say as a netflix series i think it would be awesome and i don't know we'll have to wait and see like i said there's been work on it and who knows it sometimes these things just fade away so finishing up here it's always like i've been speaking a lot of cliches about something being ahead of its time but that really was the case with captain power it was too advanced in its technology, its storytelling, um, the the market, the demographic they were going. I think something needed to be in between, you know, this age of like He-Man and G.I. Joe and Transformers and whatever. Something needed to bridge the gap, I think, before Captain Power was to come out, but there was nothing in between. So Captain Power had to sort of go in um, fresh and, and, and handle sort of a new direction that 
kids and people probably weren't ready for. Again, you know, they blazed their own trail. It made a limited impact on the 80s. Um, depending on, you know, if you're listening to this show, you're probably a fan of Captain Power. Like if you found it and you wanted to download and learn more, like you probably remember it well. So it means something to you. But if you're like the casual person or if you weren't old enough, it might not be something that um, resonates with you. But it was a very significant thing in the 80s, as even though it was a short-lived um, show. Okay, let's wrap it up there. Hope you liked it. Like I said, there's a lot that goes into some of these things, and it's interesting to sort of peel back the layers and look at the real backstory. So thanks for listening. Uh, Again, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. I should be there, and I'll see you on the next episode. All right, bye.